0: Particular Sunday is the beginning of a new quarter and you will find brochures out in the foyer uh, the brochure may appear at first glance to be two different brochures when they're laying in stacks because one side of it is uh, for our children's Sunday morning and Wednesday night classes, and then the other side of it is for our adult Sunday morning and Wednesday night classes. Uh, so be sure and take advantage of the information that's here, but more important, take advantage of the Bible classes. If you're newly married and you're not attending a Bible class, I want you to encourage you to do something for your soul and for your marriage. Get involved in a Bible class. Right now, we have a newly married class that's only uh, been meeting together for one quarter. And uh, John Michael, Kennedy, and myself will be teaching it this quarter. And we look forward to that time together. But I want to encourage you to to get your marriage off on the right start and putting a biblical knowledge uh, that that you can gain as a foundation, uh, that you can gain from Bible classes as, as a foundation in your life and building those relationships so important. I want to encourage you not to neglect the things that are of the greatest importance. Speaking of neglecting things of great importance, what do you think about life? But even more importantly, what do you think about death? Do you believe that there is life after death? Isn't it interesting that most Americans spend very little time thinking about life after death? Oh, when they grow to be very elderly, they oftentimes will think about it, or if they learn that they have a terminal illness, they'll think about it, or if they're facing some kind of tragedy. But the average American today doesn't spend much time each day thinking about life after death. And so I want to pause right there for a moment and let you reflect on whether or not you do. And then let's ask this question, is it wise? If you reflect very little on life after this earth, Is it wise that you reflect very little? Would it affect your faith if you reflect very little? If we were to look at individuals that had strong and enduring faith, and we looked at individuals that were lukewarm and struggled, do you think that one would think much about the afterlife, and one would think very little about the afterlife? As we begin a lesson this morning, it's really just the introduction to tonight's lesson. And then this will be the beginning of a couple of more sermons where we're going to be immersed into victory. We've been looking for 12 months now at the theme of immersed, and we want to plunge our lives into victory, but we need to define victory. Wouldn't it be a shame if we were moving towards something that we thought was victorious, but the reality was... It wasn't a victory at all. And wouldn't it be ashamed if we didn't realize it until we had stepped over on the other side and it was too late to make any changes in our life? You see, this idea of questioning life after death, it's not anything new. You remember thousands of years ago, Job asked the question, if a man die, shall he live again? And we see in the catacombs the results of early Christians that went through tremendous persecution. And yet, they seemed to have a greater certainty about life after death than Job did. But of course, they had gotten to know Jesus, the one who died and was buried and was resurrected. And so they were able to speak with certainty because of their faith about their deceased loved ones. In other words, individuals were tortured eventually martyred. And then, when they were buried, now picture this, it's your relative, you're taking them to the grave, what are you going to inscribe on their stone? Is it a loss? Is it a defeat? They've died because they were doing right. They died because they were living for the Lord. Notice, they spoke with certainty of life and of peace and of rest and a victory. Here's just a few that you can read if if you pass through the catacombs. Describing a brother, he says, Paulus was put to death in tortures in order that he might live in eternal bliss. Believing there was something much better on the other side than that that killed him on this side. Speaking of a sister, Clementa, tortured, dead, sleeps, will rise. And speaking of Constance, who apparently drank some poison that he was forced to drink, but yet it didn't kill him, or at least not quickly enough. Then a sword was thrust through him, and so his epitaph reads, The deadly drought dared not present to Constance the crown which the steel was permitted to offer. The crown here is referring to victory, the crown of victory saying the poison wasn't able to bring it, but the sword was able to bring victory. Do you think of death in that particular way? And then we read of six others on this next slide that it speaks of death, of the sleeping place, laid here to sleep, sleeps in Christ, in peace, in the peace of Christ, a sweet soul, in the place of refreshment. Notice again how certain the belief is that there's life after death and that there's victory, that there's a reward, that there's something good after this. And finally, we'll look at Alexander. It said, in Christ, Alexander is not dead, but lives. Now they had buried him, he had been tortured to death, but yet they described that he was still alive. One who lives with God, who was taken up into his eternal home. Now let me ask probably what is an obvious question, or at least the answer is obvious. Where did they get this? Where did individuals get the idea that there was something so wonderful after death? Where did they get the idea that they could live with God, that they could have a crown of victory, that they could be at peace, that it's just a a wonderful rest and sleep until that great and final reward? Where did they get this? Didn't they get it from the same book that you and I are holding right now? For just a moment, and I don't know how this will strike you, but as I was studying this this week, it kind of made a little bit of a cold chill go down my spine as I thought, the men and women that had such strong convictions in time of adversity, they were reading the very same words of our Lord that I'm reading. Have these same words convicted you in the same way that they convicted those early Christians? Let's read a few of the words that no doubt they would have known because they referred, it appears, in their statements to these particular passages. Let's look at Philippians, the first chapter. Let's look at Philippians, the first chapter. Did not what we have just have read refer to Philippians 1? And we'll read verse 21 and then 23 where paul says for me for to me to live is christ and to die is gain for i am hard pressed between the two having a desire to depart and be with christ which is far better do i share that same faith Do I really believe that to die would be a gain for me today as a faithful Christian? Would I share that faith with Paul that says, oh, you're asking me which one I want? Oh, that's such a hard thing. Because I believe that if the Lord allowed me to live 2012, I'd be able to touch some souls in Mount Juliet. I believe that I'd be able to help bring some people to Christ. And so, I want to live so that I can grow the kingdom. But personally... If you're going to press me, I'm going to have to tell you personally, I want to die because I realize that I would go on to be with my Lord. No wonder the catacombs read as they do if we shared the faith that is presented to us in the scriptures. Let's back up to 2 Corinthians 5, the text that was read, which by the way, as I've already mentioned, tonight we'll come back and develop this text thoroughly and we'll really key on the idea. We just uh, read Paul say in Philippians 1 about departure. The idea of departure is a strong word and description of leaving this earth. And we'll talk about that tonight, especially from 2 Corinthians 5. But I'd like for you to think about here uh, where we are in this introduction to this lesson right now, this morning. Look in verse 6, 7, and 8. And let's think about what is it that they read that made them have such belief and faith and conviction about the afterlife. Look at verse 6 of 2 Corinthians 5. So we are always confident. Notice how we're going to read the word confident at least twice. We are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, We are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Now think of those first century individuals that they watched their loved ones uh, be murdered. And yet they didn't live by sight. Because by sight it appeared that they were defeated. They lived by faith knowing that they were not defeated. That they had won. But now notice verse 8 again. We have confidence. For we are confident, yes, well-pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. And so now he writes about this confidence. We realize that there is something waiting on us to be in the presence of the Lord that's not the same that we enjoy right now. In other words, hopefully this room is full of individuals that say, I'm close to Jesus right now. But But Paul and the New Testament writers were confident That there was a presence that we were going to enjoy to be with God that was far better than the absence that we experience right now. And then here is something that I really need to take with me and meditate upon and mull this over. He not only said confident in verse 8, but he said, yes, well pleased. Is it well pleasing to you to think about dying and being absent? Maybe some of you can think about a time when you bought furniture and you thought, wow, I am really well pleased with this furniture. Or maybe you, you bought some clothing and, and when you tried it on and, and, and you looked at it and you said, I'm really pleased with this. Maybe you bought a car. And you remember driving down the road and just kind of looking at the car and enjoying the ride of the car. And maybe, maybe you just thought to yourself, I'm really well pleased with this car. What is it that you can honestly say, I am really, really well pleased with this? Can you look at dying and stepping into eternity? And can you honestly say with confidence right now, I am well pleased with that. How do these individuals have such faith to inscribe these things in the catacombs? They read the same scriptures we read. And if we don't arrive at the same conclusion, it's not because the scriptures have changed or lost its power. It's because we don't believe what God offers us. Our struggle is we too often make this world our home. We put our roots too deep. We put our pleasure too deep. We allow this to overcome our heart. And the plea all through the Scriptures is to get us to lift our eyes and see what is coming because it's so much better Can you imagine a place like Revelation 21 where in the first few verses he talks about the old heaven and earth being passed away and the new Jerusalem, the new heaven being come? And and notice verse 4 in Revelation 21. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Can you imagine a place where there's no hospitals, no cemeteries? Can you imagine a place where there's never a need for a Kleenex? No one's ever shedding a tear or having a runny nose? Can you imagine a place where everything is being taken care of by God in a perfect-like status? And can you imagine saying, No, I'd rather stay on this earth. You know, there's just so much pain here. There's so many losses here. There is so much sickness here. A lot of hospitals, a lot of funeral homes, and they seem to always be the busiest places in our community. I'd rather stay here. Friends, we're not thinking clearly if we state that. We haven't opened our eyes or maybe just the opposite. Maybe we need to close our eyes and live by faith. And I'm not talking about blind faith. I'm talking about faith that has substance and evidence that's revealed to us by God. What are we living for? I like the quote by Aristides in, is in 125 A.D. and Christianity was new to him. He was a Greek, and I want you to imagine. Here's this individual that wants to describe to a friend this newfound religion, new for him, and he writes this letter to his friend, and he says. If any righteous man among the Christians passes from this world, they rejoice and offer thanks to God, and they escort his body with songs and thanksgiving as if he were setting out from one place to another nearby. That's what we want to look at more tonight. What is it that Christians understand about this word departure, that it's not something negative, but that it's something beautiful? What is it about this departure that is something that you celebrate? And it's not that we ignore the fact that along with death for the survivors comes grief. But it is the realization that it is a mixed emotion and the greatest emotion for Christians that have passed on is the celebration. That's why in Psalms 116 and verse 15 The psalmist can say about our Lord, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. Friends, He's not pulling our leg and He's not dealing in a callous way with us. He's revealing the truth. You want to see something precious? See a man or a woman that have lived their life as a saint of God and when they die, they pass on to the other side and the one who knows the other side far better than us says, That's precious. That's precious. Maybe we don't like to accept at times just the real facts. What do we have in common with all of those in the first century? What do we have in common with that person that lives on the left of us and the right of us? What do we have in common with the neighbor that lives across the street or across the ocean, the other side of the world? What do we have in common? The mortality rate. It's always been 100%. Why do we try to avoid the topic of death like it's not going to happen? Why do we try to avoid it as if it won't impact me? When the reality is Jesus Christ came to this earth to give us a solution this mortality rate it's not that he took death away but interestingly he took death and he died to offer life i'd like to close this lesson if you will by us going to two passages Uh, we're going to skip a slide and let's go to hebrews the second chapter Hebrews the second chapter. We've got to mention these quickly. And again, this is just the introduction for tonight's lesson where we'll go back to 2 Corinthians 5 and, and to see about this departure. Everything we're saying this morning is getting us ready to study about that departure. And and look in in second in Hebrews the second chapter. Notice verse 14. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, that's you and I, we are flesh and blood, he, talking about Jesus Christ himself, likewise shared in the same. He came to this earth and he became flesh and blood. That through death, that's his death, he might destroy him, that's destroy Satan, who had the power of death, that is the devil. The devil has used death as his tool. He would love to destroy mankind. He's our enemy. But notice when Jesus came to die, He came to die for it to be a benefit for us. And so verse 15 describes that benefit. This is beautiful. And release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Without Jesus Christ and without His death, we are subject to the bondage of sin. We're going to die we're going, to be, we're going to be raised, but it's not going to be in life. It's going to be in condemnation because we died as sinners separated from God. And Jesus Christ, and by the way, if we understand that, it, it ought to bring fear. We ought to say, I dread death. I don't want to die. I don't want to think about death. Well, here's what we ought to do. We ought to say, I do want to think about death, but I want to find a way to be able to face death without fear. And Jesus Christ says, I've come. I've died for you. When he died, buried, and was resurrected, he conquered death. And now we can be released from the spiritual bondage so that when we pass through the physical death, we will rise, just as he was resurrected, we will rise to live. And now the Hebrew writer says, now we can be released from fear. Brethren, I realize that part of this surely must be a journey of maturity. But I want to challenge you in this month as we study the victory. I want you to realize that if you cannot see death as a victory, in other words, it's not death itself, it's the passage, it's what's lying on the other side of death. If you cannot see that passageway through death as the victory in Jesus Christ, you're missing the victory. Let's look at it one more time and we close. 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. In just a few verses time, I don't guess anywhere in the Bible the word victory is used more often in just a few verses time than this. And I want you to notice how it's everything about what we're talking about because that ultimately is the victory. Let's read this. In 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to read verse 54, 55, 56, 57. So, 1 Corinthians 15. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal... Remember we talked about a mortality right. This mortal has put on immortality. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written. Death is swallowed up in victory. How can you have a life where death doesn't defeat you? You're going to have to find victory. If you can't find the victory, death defeats you. But what about finding a life... Where victory swallows up death. Where's that going to be? Well, he asks these questions in 55. Oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, Hades, or in other words, where the grave, the, the realm of the dead. Where is your victory? We stand at a graveside. And wouldn't all of us say that's a cold place to be. That feels like a lonely place if you're only living by sight. But by faith, we know that there's an answer to where the victory is in the grave. Here's the answer. Verse 57 But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Florence Chadwick was an amazing swimmer. She'd already swam the English Channel both ways. And in 1952, she decided she wanted to swim from the Catalina Islands off the Pacific Ocean all the way to the mainland of California. She had been swimming for 15 hours with boats by her side, and one of those boats was her mother. She told her mother how tired she was, that she couldn't make it, and her mother told her how close she was, and she could. But you see, it had been very rough weather, where it had been cold the entire time, and foggy. All she could see was the fog, at times so thick, she could not even see the boats that were beside her. The mother is urging her, you're close. And finally she says, In exhaustion, I quit. They didn't reach for her until she literally quit swimming. And as she was sinking, they picked her up. They brought her into the boat. And she realized she was only a half a mile away. The next day in a press conference, she said, All I could see was the fog. I feel certain that if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. What do you see? All Satan wants us to see is the fog. The Lord wants us to see the shores of heaven. I hope today and tonight and next week, I hope our study in the Word of God will lift our eyes so that we realize it's real. Eternity, heaven, the victory. Brethren, it's more real than the, the floor we're standing on, it's more real than this building, it's more real than your life itself because all this stuff is temporal and it's eternal. Can you see the shores of heaven? And if not, don't be satisfied until you can. Because when we see the shores, the departure is a blessing. This morning, where are you in that journey? If you haven't begun the journey, we'd love to help you. If you're ready to be immersed into Christ, we'd love to assist you in that. If, if you have questions and you don't really know where to begin, we'd love to assist you in that. Maybe you've begun the journey and you've lost the way and everything seems foggy. We'd love to help you come back. If you're ready to confess sin and pray forgiveness, or if there's anything that we can do, all we are is we are children of God walking toward that heavenly side. And if we can help you in that, we'd love to come as we stand and as we sing.